Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Kirill Korobkov, grew up and started skating in Cheboksary, capital of the Chuvash Republic, which is part of Russia, but he's been living in Moscow for over 20 years now. Kirill is one of the best-known ambassadors of Russian skateboarding. He has traveled extensively with his friend Patrick Walner's visual traveling crew and has played a major role as a fixer in Russia and its surrounding countries throughout the years. He is also the brand and team manager of Russian board brand Absurd Skateboards and the Russian team manager for Vance. I had the opportunity to chat with him to discuss his journey through skateboarding and of course we talked about the war in Ukraine. So here's my conversation with Kirill. I hope you'll enjoy it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kirill, for uh, taking some time to chat with me. Uh, I've been wanting to to get you on the, the podcast for a little bit and uh, really stoked uh, to get to talk to you. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, and uh, I'm stoked to be a part of the list uh, you've been having recently. All those people, yeah, I know some of them, and uh, I definitely heard about the rest of them, and that looks like a decent list of skateboarders or people who are related to skateboarding, and I'm definitely stoked to be part of this list. Yeah, thank you. No, you're, you definitely belong on that list for sure. So I usually start the podcast with the same question with the guests, which is, uh, how did you find skateboarding? So I think, I think we're pretty much the same age. I, I'm not sure what year you were born, but I think you're around 35, right? I'm 36. I was okay. born in 1985. Okay. Oh, so you're, you're a year older than me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In September. Yeah. Actually in like in, in around a month, I'm turning 37, but okay. I'm 36 for now. So yeah, can you tell me about growing up and finding skateboarding? Because uh, so I know you've been living in Moscow for a while now, but uh, that mm -hmm. I, I think you grew up in a different part of Russia. Yeah. So yeah, tell me about growing up and how you found skateboarding. So um, for my middle school, I've been living with my grandparents in the city of Cheboksare. It's a city located on the Volga River, which is actually the longest river in Europe. And uh, I was living there with my grandparents and my parents were in Moscow. But at that time we had a little bit of um, like our living situation in Moscow was complicated. And uh, my parents thought it was better for me to stay with my grandparents and uh, go middle school in Klebaksare and that's how I ended up in that city mm -hmm. and yeah that's where I grew up where uh, that's where I graduated middle school and that's where I picked up skateboarding okay let me tell you a couple words about Klebaksare because this place is not very well known yeah outside of Russia especially even inside of Russia people are confused all the time when I tell them the place where I'm from but for people outside of Russia I'm sure that's like a less known point on the world map yeah it's a part of Russia but it's a capital of the Chuvash Republic it's a territory with ethnical background that's basically the land of the Chuvash people it's a Turkic nation mm-hmm I hope, oh, as uh, probably like many people know, like Russia have many different nationalities besides actual Russians. It yeah. have Tatar people, it have Yakut people, all kinds of people. And one of the ethnical minorities that is uh, part of Russian 
national landscape are Chihuahua people or East Chihuahua people mm -hmm. and uh, Chebaksari is the capital of the Chihuahua Republic. Now, what made it special? It's a mixed population. Russian people are mixed with Chihuahua people and Chihuahua people have their own cultural identity, own culture, even own language that is still quite widely spoken. Okay. Uh, this land is bi bilingual and it's an interesting place to grow up with and it gave me a good perspective for Russia is all about how Russia is multicultural and how different nationalities live with each other and yeah things like that. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Chebuksare. I started my school years in 1992 and I graduated 10 years later in 2002 and as for skateboarding I picked it up in 1999. That's the year I consider the start of my skateboarding. Mm -hmm. That's the year when I got the first proper or real skateboard and I got sparked because I saw my classmate and a really good friend of mine of that time just uh, coming up to meet me doing tic-tac on a skateboard. Okay. I definitely known about skating before that, but I didn't really have a conception and just watching my friend coming up doing tic-tac on an old school slalom Soviet skateboard. <laughs> made me feel so inspired mm -hmm. and uh, made me feel so sparked that I immediately felt like I want to do the same thing. Yeah. And uh, pretty much from that very second when I saw him doing it, I decided to pick up skateboarding too. For some time we shared his skateboards and sometime later I got my own skateboard and because it was way better was skateboard than he had like after we shared my skateboard and yeah things like that so basically i saw a good friend of mine and my classmate doing it yeah and i got inspired and i got shocked and i got excited and <laughs> i decided you wanted to to start doing it yeah 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 i wanted to start doing it and it looked like the best thing ever for me and it yeah. still is so uh you said you had known a bit about skateboarding before that, but um, I can't really imagine how present skateboarding was in Russian culture, especially in the 90s. So when you saw your friend, was that like your very first time seeing skateboarding in person or... Uh, no, not really. Actually, uh, a bit of a skate scene um, has already existed during late Soviet Union times. There were actually Soviet championships and Soviet slalom contests. Okay. But uh, like at that moment, there wasn't too much information about skateboard. I saw skaters here and there. At that moment, it definitely wasn't big or popular, but... Yeah. Uh, I had seen people doing it, but I didn't really like know much about it. And also around the same time, I can remember two television commercials mm -hmm. that kind of like gave us a better image of what was possible on a skateboard and what skateboarding was about. Yeah. Uh, both of them were on Russian national TV. One of them was um, Pepsi commercial and uh, the other one was Sprite commercial. So this is like a... <laughs> classical rivalry between coca-cola and pepsi company but yeah. that confrontation or competition or whatever you call it uh, actually helped me to learn a little bit more about skateboarding mm -hmm. and so what about like getting your first board where did you find it and i had to go all the way i had to fly all the way to new york with my dad oh wow 99 okay yeah. 
like at that moment uh, we had lack of skateboards and we barely I think the first very first skate shop in Moscow had just opened around that time okay. but I didn't know about it and there were no online stores yeah. nothing like that because yeah obviously internet wasn't as developed as yeah. it is now and there was lack of information and like and normal sports store didn't have proper skateboards so like I actually I didn't know where to get it mm -hmm. and uh, thanks to my parents and thanks to my dad in September 1999 we ended up in New York mm -hmm. and uh, the biggest priority for me uh, was to buy a skateboard yeah it was the best <laughs> to buy to, to get a re first real skateboard and yeah we get it in in New York, uh, we got it uh, around Manhattan, and I I still remember my first board. It was World Industries board. Okay. And, uh, it was like sleek board. Uh -huh. I think uh, yeah yeah it was. Around that time, a lot of companies experimented with slick boards, mm -hmm. and World Industry, yeah, I got a slick board with Wet Willy and Flame Boy, and <laughs> I had Galvin trucks and World Industries wheels. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember my first board as it was yeah. yesterday, pretty much, and... Yeah, I remember like getting it and I thought that was the biggest challenge to find the way to buy it and right after that I'm gonna be so good and everything is gonna be so easy and like half an hour later I remember myself standing on a sidewalk in the middle of the Central Park in New York. Yeah trying to figure out tricks and a way to use the board and uh, actually it was super hard and <laughs> getting birds was just the first step it didn't it didn't become any easier for me to to do the tricks yeah. because of the fact i had the the right board <laughs> So uh, after that trip, you flew back home to Russia? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a quite a short trip. It was like okay. a 10 days long trip. I got aboard. I, I did sightseeing. I visited the United Nations headquarters. And <laughs> I, I saw the Central Park. And I yeah. saw Manhattan. And then like 10 days later, we flew back to Moscow. And a few days after that, I flew back to Chebaksare to finish my middle school, to graduate my middle school. And uh, yeah, the, the, the only thing what made me special, I was probably the only guy in the city at that moment, in the whole city, who had the real skateboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me about those first years of skating. Did you meet with a lot of skaters around your area or did it take a bit longer until you uh, hooked up with some skaters or...? Like first, first months is actually like almost the first year. It was just me and my friend, the same friend that showed me skateboarding, uh -huh. and it was just two of us trying to find the way how to learn early, how to learn frontside one eighty, mm -hmm. how to learn most basic skateboard tricks, and uh, it might sound a little bit strange right now with all the YouTube tutorials and like all the YouTube skateboarding schools and. The level of access uh, you have these days, let me call it library of skateboarding. Mm -hmm. But like back then, like we, we, we barely had internet, we had dial up yeah. connection and to download how to only video, and like it could take up to a couple hours. And uh, uh, the way we've been getting internet, it was through 
regular phone wires and if someone called your home phone in the middle of that internet section everything just like stopped, or, stopped yeah. and <laughs> you had to restart downloading so it was a big mission <laughs> yeah. and not only that just the, the, the amount of information about skateboarding was very minimal yeah so like a lot of the things me and my friend we had to pick it up just from practicing it and from utilizing it and from basically basically we had to do it our own way okay. I, mean, I mean like we had a little bit of concept like we, we, we at the end we managed to download one or two very low quality how to only tricks but back then like we didn't we, we didn't have any like skate videos or magazines skate or, videos yeah. or magazines or instructors or skate schools or anything like that yeah. it was just me my friend his name was Lenny Murzaev I mean I, I'm still in touch with him we still see each other every here now he doesn't do skateboarding anymore, anymore but okay. like yeah but like we, we, we like to meet each other basically every time we meet each other we go through all those memories and thinking of us doing our first downhills and doing our first ollies I'm still in touch with him. He's not that much of a skater anymore, yeah, but, but, but he's still around. Anyway, yeah, his mm-hmm. name is uh, Lenny Murzaev, and uh, we, we, we did it our own way. And Russia, end of 90s, uh, the country was still in transition between Soviet yeah. socialist past um, and uh, freshly established capitalism. capitalism. Yeah capitalism and a lot of the things collapsed and a lot of people were lost in time and lost in space it was it was a hard time for a lot of people and um, the country was in the middle of a very big and important uh, transition period so that's also um, left some kind of an imprint on everyday life so it yeah. was it was tough time it was like our 90s i believe they were harder than 90s for some other people and yeah and all those like subcultures like skateboarding or underground music or rock music or hip-hop music we were outcasts and <laughs> we had to fight for our right to keep on doing that yeah 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 for sure and so how did you first start getting like access to maybe some videos or magazines? Do you remember what maybe some of the first skate videos that you've seen? Yeah, definitely. I definitely remember my first skate video. I went to Moscow. I think after, maybe before, I think it was, no, no, it was even before I graduated me from school. I went to Moscow to visit my parents and I spent school vacation in Moscow. And uh, at that time, I already knew there was two skate shops in Moscow and I made my dad visit one of them. And since I already had a skateboard, but I still really wanted to buy something of a skate shop. We, like we, we ended up buying one of the videotapes. It wasn't like an official copy. It was like copy that was rare recorded using two video recorders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably know what I talk about. Yeah, it was like a bootleg copy okay. of a Transworld video. So my first... The very first skate video that I watched, that was uh, Modus Operandi by oh. Transworld Skateboarding. That's a good one, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember coming back home with my dad and turning the tape on on the TV, and it was a pure shock. Just oh, watching yeah. all those tricks and maneuvers. Yeah. And the possibilities uh, to use skateboards, that was absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. That was a shocking moment for me that they made me believe in skateboarding stronger in anything else yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. my first skate video was on video by transworld skateboarding mm -hmm. i bought it from non-olympic games skate shops uh, okay. one of two skate shops that the city of moscow had at that time uh -huh. and it was like a bootleg copy like a pirate <laughs> version of a video it wasn't like an official vhs tape okay it was like a pirate video but anyway is or I watched it maybe, I don't know, maybe a thousand times yeah. or at least a couple hundred times. And at some points, I could watch it maybe three to five times per every day mm -hmm. before skating, after skating. And yeah, yeah, I definitely got hooked way harder. <laughs> And so I was just curious to know also, for example, how did your parents react to you starting skateboarding? How, what was their perception? Because, you know, skateboarding being such a historically an American thing, how was the perception from maybe your parents or people around you where you were living? Was it kind of welcomed or was it frowned upon or... My parents were definitely cool about it because they were quite westernized already back okay. then. They had visited the United States before and they, they saw all those subcultures. And uh, I, I believe they wanted me to be free about choosing things I like and about yeah. choosing things I won't do. They were not too pushy, like they never wanted me to go to become a pro skater or to become or like a sport champion or Olympic champion, but they were supportive in the way they were happy to see me enjoying having skateboarding. fun. Yeah. Yeah. They were happy to see me having fun, that's for sure. Okay. They didn't really push me to go harder, they didn't push me to go a pro skater yeah. or get sponsored or won medals or things like that. But um, they were supportive and uh, every here now especially first few years they helped me to buy new boards and shoes and things like that okay but at the same time they didn't spoil me it's not like i had a new deck every other week or a new pair of shoes every mm -hmm. other month like first few years it was normal for me to have the same board for for maybe six months or even longer or maybe one year and mm -hmm. like one pair of shoes lasted me almost one year too okay wow uh, I, I, I yeah i used to glue my boards and i used to glue my shoes so they, they made sure that i wasn't spoiled by like going to skate shop every other week and yeah. getting new gear and so Tell me about moving to Moscow. So we moved out there in 2002, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I graduated middle school and uh, despite skateboarding, my parents and my whole family, they definitely wanted me to um, uh, start doing university, to get a high education because at that moment uh, it wasn't clear for them and it wasn't clear even for me that skateboarding is going to be a way of life for me for many more years. So just, uh, they wanted uh, to be sure that I had some kind of diploma and some kind of like education. Yeah. Just to feel um, normal. And so what did you study when, when you went to Moscow? 
Yeah, yeah, and there's a reason, like, uh, like uh, middle school, I graduated in Chebaksar, as I explained, it was a middle school kind of in the middle of Russia, nowhere, and for universities, they wanted me to move to the capital, where all the best universities were located, and I actually studied international relations. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I studied international relations, it's interesting, it's like, it's really, like, I've never used a diploma that I got after five years of university mm-hmm. as a way to, like, I never used the advantage of diploma, but the way my life is organized due to skateboarding, is it's some kind of international relations. Well, yeah, for I sure. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I became a fan of international relations, and I became a fan of geography, mm-hmm. and I became a fan of learning things about planet Earth, but instead of using a diploma, like a paper, uh, I started using my board as a tool to learn the world around me. So I believe, yeah, I believe up to this day, I do a lot of international relations. I do a lot of international contacts, but the tool I use, it's, it's a bit different. It's called skateboard. It's interesting. I didn't know that you studied that, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that helped me with. That definitely helped me with English. That definitely helped me with understanding of humanitarian sciences, like geopolitics, like geography, mm. like world history, like university years. Um, the years that I spent in university, they were definitely helpful, and I appreciate the time. I definitely don't find those years as a waste of time. No, yeah. I find them the opposite. They were useful. Mm-hmm. And I liked that experience, but by the time I graduated university, skateboarding started paying me back, and yep. I started to stick to skateboarding. But either or, I, I'm happy about the studies I had, and I believe they're useful, mm-hmm. and the level of English I have right now, a big part of it is uh, due to the university, and also just the global knowledge of Global processes, yeah, that's definitely like big part of it comes. Some part of it comes from my dad because he okay. was also a big fan of geography and geopolitics. But also, big part of that comes from my higher education. So you went to university, studied international relations. Mm-hmm. Five years from two thousand two to two thousand seven. Right. So uh, tell me about how skateboarding started becoming kind of a job or did you start getting sponsors or how how did skateboarding start to become more of a, a professional activity for you? Okay, around the same time when I joined or when I entered university around 2002 or 2003, that was the time when Russian skateboarding industry got its first roots, I would say. As I said, we had already had skateboards for a few years. Like the first skateboard was opened in 1998, and the second one was opened in 1999. But um, those were just skateboards. But by the year 2002 and 2003, we started getting distribution companies. We started getting local brands. We started getting local magazines. We started getting big local skate parks. I'm, I'm talking about Moscow first of all. Right. Moscow was the very I'm not talking about the rest of the country, yeah. but at least the city of Moscow started getting step by step uh, just um, a proper skate scene. A proper scale, all those things that all together uh, can be named as a proper skate scene. Like there was a magazine, we had 
two major websites that started doing day-by-day updates, everyday updates. We had mass skate shops. We got a few distribution companies. And uh, yeah, that was the beginning of the Russian skate industry. Okay, okay. And I was still new to Moscow uh, at that time. I had moved to Moscow recently mm-hmm. and I was still very keen on skateboarding. Even though I started doing my university, my time was divided between studying and skateboarding. And uh, even back then, skateboarding wasn't for me just the physical process of skateboarding, mm-hmm. like tricks and pushing around and actual skating but I had a wider look I knew there was a whole world based uh, around it yeah yeah back then I could already understand there were endless possibilities for new contacts for friendship I realized there were very wide possibilities for traveling and that was the whole world of its own yeah and uh, I think uh, after first couple years of skateboarding I've already realized that I might not be able to become a pro skater because my skateboarding talents, I mean, maybe I had like a lack of talents or like the other way, but like I could start understanding like I didn't have enough talent to become a pro skater, but I started looking what else can I do to have this wooden toy as a lighthouse that's going to navigate me through many more years. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, actually the first thing I started doing as a participant of skateboarding industry, I started translating news blogs for the Russian skateboarding website Skater.ru. I started doing translation of news blogs from English into Russian. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was basically uh, going to skateboarding.com, uh, Transworld skateboarding website, uh, oh, which yeah. at that moment was bigger than Trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the main international source for skateboarding news. Right. And uh, I used to pick up uh, pieces of news I found important and translate them into Russian and okay. type the news blocks in Russian and send them over to that website. And maybe, like, I think the, the website editors were quite happy. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't like a big, something big. There were like two more guys running it and me doing writing. And uh, after the first couple of months, they trusted me to start writing bigger pieces and start doing interviews and uh, start working on a full-size articles and things like that. So my first occupation as a participant of uh, Russian skateboarding industry was a copywriter or author of texts about skateboarding. Okay, interesting. So first thing I started, like I, I like, I was still skating a lot, I was studying, but I also started doing a lot of typing, a lot of writing. Right, right. We'll talk about visual traveling in a second, but tell me a little bit about your first travels. What was your, maybe your first destination for traveling outside of Russia and, uh, and for skateboarding? Do you remember where you went? It also came through the same website, skater.ru, and I was invited by the Russian photographer Alexei Lapin to join the trip to Poland. Okay. It was Adio Russia team. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shoe brand. Yeah, yeah. Around that time, it was very strong in Russia. Mm-hmm. It has a very good distribution, and uh, it had a national team that consisted some of the best Russian riders of that moment. Okay. And I was invited by photographer Alexei Lapin to join them for the Poland trip. 
And uh, yeah, I definitely said yes because mm-hmm. uh, I was keen on skating and I was keen on traveling, and that seemed to be like a new level of opportunities and uh, some kind of a new level for me to go somewhere outside of Russia with skaters and to meet more skaters and skate, skate, skate. And I definitely said yes. So we went to Poland. Okay, cool. It's not like the biggest skateboarding destination around Europe, but it's still up there. I think it's one of the bigger destinations around Eastern Europe, at least. And yeah. Yeah. It, back then, like my first like international trip, we took trains. That might sound yeah. a little bit special, but like <laughs> we didn't take airplanes. We didn't fly, but we took trains. It must be a long train ride from Moscow yeah. to Poland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to some kind of a event that was like a con. Basically, we went to a contest that was sponsored by Adio yep. in Poland, and uh, we went to a city called Turun. It's a city where um, uh, Nicholas Kopernik was from. Okay. That's only. That's probably the only fact I remember <laughs> about this city. Yeah, it took us two days to get there, and um, we were lost uh, in space uh, during some of the train connections we had. We went all the way to Poland, and we had to switch trains from the Russian train to Polish suburban trains. That was when the adventures began, and like I, I had like a full-on experience of uh, traveling with skaters, a full-on experience of being on a skate. Trip. Yeah. A lot of a lot of skateboarding, a lot of local troubles and problems that uh, we were lucky to solve. There were all kinds of parties and after parties, <laughs> and we had international communications. There were skaters from all over Europe. There were a lot of skaters from Poland and us from Russia. And uh, that was probably the moment when I realized that skateboard is actually a very powerful tool to explore the world yeah. and to meet people and to get to know the planet mm-hmm. all of us live on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it was Poland, and uh, besides Turun, we also went to Gdansk, and we yep. went to Warsaw. All in all, the trip lasted around 10 days, and we had amazing sessions, and we had very fun parties, mm-hmm. and we had some troubles, but nothing was really <laughs> serious, and we skated some amazing street sports and skate parks. Yeah, it was like yeah, another milestone moment that proved me how awesome skateboarding was yeah. and how awesome skateboarding is up to now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What year was that? Do you remember? I think it was 2006 probably, 2005-ish, 2006, something around that. Okay, so you were, st- you were still in college. I was still in university, but I was about to graduate okay. in, in one year or something. I think it was probably 2006. Okay. So the names um, who came with me besides Alexei Lapin, we had Sasha Tushev and mm-hmm. Misha Poponin. So there were five of us. Okay. It was me as a writing guy. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was Alexei, who was a photographer. We had Igor Kropotov as a filmer guy. And we had two Russian pro skaters, Sasha Tushov and Misha Paponin. Okay. Okay, cool. Let's get into visual traveling. Can you tell me how you first met with uh, Patrick, Patrick Walner? Yeah. Actually, I think before that, I need to mention. Yeah. 
I had already done a big tour guiding mission with Jonathan Merrink. Okay. I actually, when I went through the post on your Instagram account, yeah. I saw Jonathan Merrink too. And I guess, I guess you are quite familiar with this American photographer and uh, a good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, uh, year 2007, I got contacted by Kenny Reed, mm -hmm. who had already known me from before. And he told me that the skateboarder Mac crew was looking for a tour guide for the Trans-Siberian trip. Okay. And uh, my mind was blown away. I definitely said yes. And that was... Uh, like, Poland was cool, but that was like a mind-opener for me on a way bigger scale. Yeah. It was a uh, few American pro skaters like Kenny Reed, like Van Vestel, like Keegan Souther. Keegan oh, Souther nice. was actually from Canada, but... Yeah. yeah. Was, there was also Jack Sabak. Very nice uh, crew, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was like one of the most important milestone moments or turning points for me that made me realize that I want to keep doing this for my probably yeah. entire life or at least for many more years. Right, yeah. As I said, like I was already excited after going with Russian guys to Poland, but like doing like a three weeks long trip with full on American skaters, exploring my own country, exploring uh, the Russian cities. I had never visited before and just having some of the best times I've ever had in my life. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just like another big moment, miracle, yeah. magical moment that yeah. made me believe in skateboarding. Something more than just a wooden deck with four wheels. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah so in 2007, uh, September 2007, I've done my first big international tour guide and mission, like a fixer and a tour guider and translator and a skater. Yeah. Trans-Siberian from Moscow all the way to Mongolia, only trains. It took us three weeks and we crossed like a very big part of Russia from Moscow all the way to Lake Baikal with trains and we stopped in places like Omsk, yep. Novosibirsk, Irkutsk and then we ended up being in Mongolia and um, after the stop we had in Mongolia I flew back home and the guys continued the journey all the way to China but either on that was my first international experience and yeah. that was like the first big thing I could add to my portfolio as a fixer on ex-Soviet Russian territories or even ex-Soviet territories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going back to your question about visual traveling. Yeah. Patrick Wolner, uh, after Merrin did his trip like around a year later, mm -hmm. Patrick Wolner contacted me via email and uh, told me the same thing. He told me that he was looking for a tour guide for another Trans-Siberian skateboarding adventure. Okay. And he was looking for a fixer and he told me that he had got recommendation from Jonathan Merrin. At first, honestly, I was a little bit skeptical because Merenk was like a big guy and uh, skateboarder was a big media. And at that time, Patrick Wallner wasn't really known. Yeah. 
I'm sure he won't be offended or this. No, no. He wouldn't feel any disrespect. But back then, like, he was, there was like some random guy with mixed Hungarian slash German <laughs> background with no big international skateboarder name trying to do the same thing as Merink and a bunch of American top-level pro skaters had done before. I was a little bit skeptical. I was like, uh, yeah, maybe I can come with you. But actually, like, the trip we had had with the guys year ago that was so amazing i'm not even sure if i want to do it again but then like we started emailing and talking to each other and he convinced me to join them and i finally said yes okay may 2009 we had a short meeting in berlin germany okay and uh, that was the first time we met each other in person and around june 2009 all of us got to moscow and we were starting the new trans-siberian trip and what was special it was like an independent project there were no corporate sponsors behind it there were absolutely no sponsors the guys they were way less known they didn't have big names on skateboarding but their passion for skateboarding and passion for adventures was on the same level, level yeah on the same level and on the level that made me believe that's gonna be another one for the books so yeah. i said yes we had Dan Zverev, um, yep. American skater from New York with um, Russian ethnical roots. Mm -hmm. We had Michael Makrot, who was probably the best known skater of the whole original visual traveling crew. Yep. We had Dan Cates from the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And we also had uh, Lawrence Keith from yes. the same country. Yep. And we also had John Tanner. Uh, oh, yeah. If you know him. And we also had Daniel Hawkman, an oh, American yes. skater with Korean background who used to live in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And we had two more guys from Russia, uh, like, and I convinced Patrick if we're gonna do such a big distance along Russia, we, we should have more Russian guys and we should represent Russian skateboarding too. Yeah, of course. So we had uh, Stas Provatorov mm -hmm. and Naim Alexei Naimushin. Okay. And we also had um, this Russian photographer Alexei Lapin who right. invited me to join them for the Poland trip. So okay. this was the first, the first list of riders for the first big visual traveling trip. Yeah. And to sum it up, what was special, like bunch of guys from all over the world who were either like flow team, like they, they didn't have big corporate sponsor behind them. Basically, everyone came with their own money and with their own budget. Some of the guys had like a flow team level of sponsor sets. Others had zero sponsors either or it wasn't about doing uh, it for some kind of like a big um, brand. Yeah. brand. It was just doing it for, for, for the fun of it, for adventures and for unforgettable time we all would have been on the road. Yeah, and that's yeah. how it all started. And uh, we ended up being on the road for, I believe, six or seven weeks. Wow. I mean, I, <laughs> that could be the longest skateboarding trip ever. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe there were some longer ones, but this one is definitely up there. Oh, yeah. Or even this, and that was like a constant skate trip. With train transportation, we went all the way from Moscow, through Siberia, through Mongolia, through China, all the way to Hong Kong. Like, if you look on the map, that's like a ginormous yeah. piece of land. That's like a ginormous piece of the Eurasian continent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we did it in seven weeks, only with the trains. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, yeah. 
Yeah, and it was like a hardcore skateboard mission too. It wasn't like we skated maybe like an hour or two and then we did sightseeing or like we had beach time. No, it was like a hardcore street skateboarding missions. Yeah. Every city we stopped, like Yekaterinburg and Omsk and Krasnoyarsk and Irkutsk and Ulaanbaatar, Beijing and Xi'an and Shenzhen and Hong Kong. Every city we went, we had hardcore, full-on street skateboarding mission experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point, we started calling it self-punishment. At some point, <laughs> oh, it yeah. felt like a torture, but that was definitely experience to remember. And that was definitely unforgettable moment. Great moment, for sure. And that's helped to shape visual traveling as independent crew of friends who are keen on traveling and adventures and skateboarding and who are down to go less travel places and yeah. less travel locations and less known destinations in search for adventures and skateboarding spots. Yeah, yeah. And so that very first trip, what was the name of the video Patrick made out of it? Was that 10,000 kilometers. Okay. Because the distance we did with the trailer was 10,000 kilometers. Right, right. Okay. I believe you can still find it online. It's called Visual Traveling 10,000 Kilometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's online somewhere. It's a good one. It's quite long because it was seven weeks long. Yeah. The, the trip was like, the actual video is quite long. But if you have a bit of time, I highly recommend to watch it. And it was nothing but pure fun. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe it's pretty fun to watch it too. It's yeah. quite entertaining. That was 2009. Around that time, I had already graduated university and I had already started living off skateboarding. Okay. It was like um, that website, skater.ru. I still uh, did typing and writing for it. And besides that, I started doing tour guiding and I started doing project managing and I started producing skateboarding trips. So I used to do different types of jobs, but pretty much all of them related to skateboarding. Okay. Tell me about becoming like uh, one of the main fixers, so to speak, for, for visual traveling. You just mentioned the first trip with Patrick and everybody, so the 10,000 kilometer Trans-Siberian trip. And so you became a regular on the visual traveling trips. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. been to all of them, but you've been on many of them. And tell me about like your role over there as a fixer. So you were a translator, but you were also helping out with like logistics and what exactly were you doing to help out Patrick and everybody? I was like a co-producer, I think you could call it this way, besides helping with translation. I help everyone on different levels, from the general conceptions and geography of the trip, pretty much the trip plan, to lower levels, all kinds of, like, all the way down to getting food, getting yeah. tickets, and just going out with the boys. I used to do it all, but it wasn't like a duty for me. I really enjoyed being part of this whole movement. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a real work for me. It was like a dream job. Actually, it was like a dream that became true. Mm -hmm. It was me and the, my new international friends traveling the world, traveling Russia, meeting people, going crazy, going through all kinds of situations. It was like a dream became true. Yeah. Even though I've never ended up being good enough to become a real pro skater, like, despite that, I managed to find my own way, yeah. and my, my own niche inside this global skateboarding industry to be part of this amazing world. Yeah, that's amazing. 
Yeah, and like getting back to your question, why or how did it happen? Uh-huh. I think it was my passion for traveling. Yeah, it was my passion for exploration. Exploration in many ways: ethnographic, cultural, skateboarding, search for skateboards, search for good times, search for wild times. All together, it was like it was my character mm-hmm. multiplied by my English language. Multiplied by my love for skateboarding in general and multiplied by just living the dream. I don't know. Yeah. Just skateboarding and traveling, that's the most powerful combo to explore our world. And for me, it's one of the most powerful combos just to live. For sure. Both those things, they just the combinations that exist together for me. I know some people they are cool about like staying their whole skateboarding career around the same city and uh, skating the same sports but my conception and my idea to enjoy skateboarding even more you gotta start traveling Mm -hmm. and it also works the other way around when you start traveling it makes you appreciate and makes you love skateboarding even more. So for me skateboarding and traveling is a combination that stays above all yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and besides going on the far away trips i started doing tour guiding around moscow and st petersburg for 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 american teams right who started exploring russia newborn russia around the same time i was a tour guide for teams like lakai team lakai team at the same time while they were filming for fully flared lakai team with mike carroll with recovered lakai team with um, mark johnson johnson yeah Yeah, exactly and i was tour guide for toy machine team and i was tour guide for plan b team and i was tour guide for many more teams from the North America and from Europe as well. Yeah, that must have been fun seeing all those teams yeah. coming to your, yeah, to your yeah, country yeah. and, and I, city. I, I got to know a lot of people from the industry, like yeah. uh, videographers, like photographers, and I got to know Michael Burnett, oh, yeah. who is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Treasure Mac right now. Mm-hmm. I got to know Ty Evans. I got to know many more people who are big names around in the, the, industry. Yeah, in yeah. the industry, in the international skateboard industry these days. For sure. So you've been on a bunch of these trips. I'm just going to focus on the visual traveling ones. But uh, do you have like a favorite one that you've been on? Apart maybe from that very first one, which was a special one because of its length and how far how far you traveled. But uh, which one of the trips that you've been on with Patrick and the rest of the crew would you say has been one of your like most enjoyable one? Around the Black Sea trip was pretty fun. It was supposed to be like an after-party trip. After the premiere of 10,000 kilometers, we we met in Moscow one more time and we decided to do another small trip. And yep. it grew into like a full-on new trip that covered some of the countries that uh, were not on skateboarding map back then. Like we went to Georgia. Yep. And like now Georgia is quite a big destination for... I don't know if you can call it a big destination. It's quite, I think it's quite a big destination from tourists from all over the world. At least backpackers go there yeah. a lot. But back then, like, Georgia, people didn't know what Georgia was about. Mm-hmm. And we also went to Turkey and we also went to Bulgaria and to Romania. That was quite fun. Persian version was a good one. Oh, yeah. Another big one for me was Mid the Stands. 
Oh yeah. It was a trip based on the route of the original Silk Road. It was a skateboarding trip through the Central Asia. Mm-hmm. So countries like China, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. And as a result of circumstances, we ended up visiting Afghanistan. Yes. It's like, how many people do you know who ended up going to Afghanistan for a skate trip? Yeah. <laughs> it was like we had one kind of opportunity and like one kind of a chance. And um, while we were in Uzbekistan, we met this guy, Abu, who had very strong, high-up connections in northern Afghanistan. And he set it up for us. Okay. He set up for us everything. And we had very special type of treatment. And we have security guards and bodyguards but at the same time we had an opportunity to experience real Afghanistan uh, like we visited two cities mazar sharif and Kabul mm-hmm. and that was another insane unforgettable experience experience of period of time I had in my life just going to Afghanistan and making all those people and talking to them and learning their stories and explaining them our stories mm-hmm. and showing them skateboards that was that was absolutely amazing yeah. and uh, besides Afghanistan visiting the rest of the countries on the same trip like Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan yeah. that was quite amazing too it was a really, really interesting mix especially for me being born in the Soviet Union, like yep. those countries, they used to be part of the Soviet Union, yeah, yeah. and they are bilingual, they have their own native language, but they also speak Russian, yeah. it's just being there in Central Asia, I mean, and it's it's a very special, it's a very interesting region, it's a really interesting mix of own culture, own identity, 80 years of the USSR, but they also have a bit of Chinese influence, a bit yeah. of Indian influence, mm-hmm. a bit of Arab world influence, it's just in the middle it's just the heart of Eurasia yeah and those places are less traveled and less known and less experienced mm-hmm. just going there it's already something very special and outstanding but going there with a skateboarding mission that shaped this whole amazing picture we all were happy to be part of yeah yeah So could you tell me what you think are some of the required qualities or like skills you need to have in order to be a good fixer? What would you say are uh, good skills that you have or that you've tried to develop? I mean, yeah, like English language is kind of a technical skill, but you definitely uh, need to be able to speak English just to be able to communicate. Mm Mm-hmm. Then I think you need to be into geography, at mm-hmm. least of the place you plan to go. You need to understand yeah. what kind of this place is, what it's all about, what kind of religion it has, what kind of cultural traditions. Just to be respectful and just to give a right image of the place to people who trust you to guide mm-hmm. them. First of all, you got to know this place from your own knowledge and uh, with your own knowledge and from your own understanding, I would say uh-huh. like that. So geography is history and quite important. Yeah. You got to be respectful. You got to be respectful to the locals, but also you got to be respectful to people who came on the trip. Yeah. You got to be patient because um, things like ordering food for a big group of people and getting tickets for a big group of people or waiting for a big group of skaters to do their trees, that takes time. So you got to be patient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you got to try to be funny, I would say, just to entertain <laughs> yourself and entertain people around you while everyone is waiting. 
is waiting while everyone is stuck with someone trying to get a line. Yeah. And you gotta have a positive attitude. You yeah. gotta be ready for self-punishment, as we <laughs> call it, yeah. among without traveling members. And uh, you gotta be open for adventures, and you gotta be open for all kinds of experience that uh, being on the road might throw at you. Give you. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, actually, that was a question I had. Like, uh, you've traveled a lot and you've been to some countries that are maybe a bit more difficult or dangerous, so to speak. Is there one specific time during a trip, visual traveling or not, where you were faced with a very dangerous situation? Not really, actually. Um... Like, as scary as the image of the country is, the nice time you, you have when you're actually in there. Like, actually, the only time I got into a real fight because of skateboarding, that was in Moscow, in my home city. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that only happened last year while I was already uh, 36. And I've been traveling the world for a couple decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For now, so uh, like I think it a lot of things depend on your attitude, uh, depend on your appreciation of the place, depend on a level of respect you show to the locals and things like that. Yeah. But like I mean, like some countries are definitely sketchier than others through that. But I don't want to do a list of like a. Yeah, like the worst countries, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's disrespectful. Even like making a list of worst or most dangerous, it's it's already disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Like every here now. We had some problems. We had people throwing rocks at us. We had police trying to make us pay them off because we had a little bit of alcohol while being on oh, the train yeah. ride, things like that. Like, okay. Yeah, I don't even want to name the countries, but like sometimes it happens. But like, I think if you down to earth, if you are respectful, if you know a little bit about communication and negotiation, if you're ready to talk to people, if you're ready to explain who you are, and if you're ready to explain what your mission is all about, mm -hmm. and if you are ready to prove that mm, your mission is about putting this certain country into some kind of international light, like you can get away with most of things yeah yeah even like i don't know places like afghanistan or pakistan mm -hmm. or iraq like i mean like afghanistan being in afghanistan you can definitely see a lot of kalashnikovs and a lot of guns and a lot of grenades yeah i mean like you can see a lot of weapons out there but like when you actually smile at people I think also like smiling is quite important. Like yeah. if you if you come with a peaceful mission and if you smile at people and if you do your best to behave in a respectful way, you should be fine. Okay, yeah, that's a good uh, good philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even if you're in trouble, sometimes someone might scare you. Someone might try to make earn money of you, but still, yeah. like I don't know, like yeah, just try to have a positive philosophy and hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but there are some sketchy moments. I don't know. Like there was like one time I I, I had to save Converse China team from the stone attack. And yeah, they, I, yeah, I remember seeing that in the down the Volga video. There was footage of you grabbing the rock from. No, it was actually a different video. It was oh. a visual travel project. It was about Mongolia. Okay. 
it was a trip to Mongolia, and yeah, there was like a very aggressive looking lady, and she was about to attack Chinese skaters, and I was behind her back, and I had to get the, the rough. sketchy looking, yeah, yeah. sketchy looking rock from her, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people definitely yelled at us, and people definitely tried to scare us. It's it wasn't all ideal. Like I've been doing this for a couple decades. Yeah. But like, but on the other side, as I said, you the only time I got into real fight because of skateboarding that happened to me last year in Moscow. And all the places I went before that, we were able to find peaceful solution. Okay. At least this is my own personal experience, and that's how I experience traveling planet Earth. <laughs> Right now, I know you're working for a Russian brand called Absurd Skateboards. Yes, it's still around. Yeah, we, we do it and yeah, it's still on. And you're also, I think, the team manager for the Vans Russian team. Uh-huh. So yeah, tell me about those two jobs and how, how do you share your time between both and, and what exactly are you doing for, for either project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a quite common combination for a lot of my colleagues to do board brand, but also to do some kind of management for a shoe brand. Yeah. Because there is no competition besides board brands and shoe brands, and that just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with Absurd Skateboards. Mm -hmm. That's a Russian board brand that's been around for 14 years. Like next year, we're going to have 15 years anniversary. And uh, it's just our expression of skateboarding. It's ironical. It's also self-ironical. Yep. Basically, we try to find our unique way to represent skateboarding in Russia and to represent skateboarding from Russia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because we believe the style depends on architecture, on sports, on uh, soundtracks. And even though the tricks are the same and um, kickflip is a kickflip, doesn't matter what continent you're on and what country you're in, still there is a way to make your video production and to make your products look special and to have its own unique style. Uh -huh. Like Absolute Skate Brands is based about Russian eye aesthetics and our own safe, ironical approach about where we are from. And even the name, like for us, absurd skateboarding is quite absurd when a bunch of older guys keep playing with a wooden toy yeah. and find it uh, as the most amazing thing they can do their entire life. That's kind of <laughs> absurd, but yeah, yeah, cool yeah. with that. So, like, we basically, this is our own creative way to self-express each other and try to represent skateboarding the way it is in Russia. Yeah. And uh, we have all new board collection once a year, and uh, we have around 10 guys on our team. Okay. And most of the guys uh, have been with us since the very beginning, what we find very important and very valuable. And we have some younger guys, and we like to do tour videos and tour projects going weird or distant or random destinations around Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At one of the points, we realized that the most interesting thing we can contribute to international skateboarding is to represent skateboarding the Russian way, yeah. I would say. it, And just 
try to go places no one goes in Russia, places like somewhere up north or mm-hmm. places like down south, like Azov Sea or the Black Sea or Dagestan around the Caucasus Mountains. So we just like to go very random or very, how can I describe Yeah, not, not, not well-known places. Yeah, not well-known places for skateboarding. Yeah, like yeah. people, like there is definitely a very big list of amazing spots in Moscow. Sure. And uh, yeah, and like St. Petersburg is quite good for skateboarding too. But like our way, like the absurd way of skateboarding is just going all kinds of those random places and looking for spots and learning places and making uh, skaters from those places happy just because we ended up visiting them. Things like that. I remember I watched a a little video that you guys made. I I don't remember how old it is, but it's maybe a few years old. And you guys went to a place called, uh, I don't know how to spell it, but it's D-N-O. No. no. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very um, cypheronical. The, yeah. the name of the city translates bottom. Yeah. So it, wa- it was like a very north of skateboard. And that, that was a, a small city in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It had super shit sports <laughs> and nothing to skate and almost no local skate scene. Actually, there was one local skater um, who yeah. met. <laughs> and so like it was like pretty much going to like the, the worst destination for skate trip you can find. Something yeah. like this. <laughs> And we ended up like, and also the name, like, no, like the bottom, like, let's yeah. go to the very bottom, let's go to the bottom. <laughs> we started vlogging about it, and we actually ended up really going there, and it was like a little horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was definitely a, a good vibe in the video, it was pretty funny. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whoever wants to watch it, and whoever has an interest to watch it, don't take it serious. It was just like a irony and self irony, but we believe it turned out quite fun. Yeah. And that's one of the videos that can be called a definition of absurd skateboard. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what Absurd Skateboards is about. And uh, yeah, we are about to release um, our tour video from Dagestan. And okay. next year, it's going to be our 15th year anniversary. And mm-hmm. we have to do something special for the next year. We haven't decided what it's going to be, but yeah, yeah. So it's time. And so, what about Vance? Tell me how, how you got involved with them. Yeah, so Vance, uh, for a long time, uh, they had local distributor for them. Mm-hmm. But around, I think, 2013, they opened their real office. It wasn't a distribution, it was, it was like a VF office. And they basically came to Russia. And uh, first couple of years, it was my good friend Vitaly Kotov um, who worked for them. Okay. But then he changed for a different company. And there was another guy, Kostya Bilazorov, who started um, doing marketing. But Kostya, at that time, he didn't have such strong of skateboarding background. And he decided to hire a team manager mm-hmm. to help him. And around uh, 2014, I was invited to become a team manager for Vance Russia. Okay. And I said yes, because once seem to be a well-respected brand. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it was a good addition to my duties as a text writer and it was a good addition to Absurd Skateboards because as I said before, board brand and shoe brand, they don't compete each other. Sure. And I said yes, and it was all uphill since then because Vans progressed a lot as a brand. Yeah. I mean, the quality of the product, marketing and um, attitude towards smaller skateboarding scenes like us in Russia. Yeah. They really managed to establish very well-respected attitude to all um, those small national skateboarding teams they have. Okay. It wasn't just like an American team that always gets most yeah, uh, attention. Yeah, the shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like there are dozens or hundreds of guys all around the world who get shoes. Um, but it was actually the other way around. Like they provided us with the budget. They gave us opportunity to do projects for the major Vans mm -hmm. YouTube channel. And they put light on us via those social media. And it was quite amazing to be part of Vans mm -hmm. around this time because like we could feel how the attitude changed and how much more of attention they started to pay to smaller local national scenes like European scenes yeah, yeah. like Netherlands like Belgium like Italy like Spain and uh, also Russia as a part of Vance Europe family and we really felt like we became uh, part of something bigger than just Vance Russia mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, we had Vance Europe team visited us a few years ago it was another great one for the books like the whole pretty much all the major skaters from the European team came to Moscow for two weeks and we had unforgettable time in Moscow what ended up in a project that was named Mogba Life uh, okay. played with name Moscow and the name of uh, world famous skateboarding spot from Barcelona Magba oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. turned like Magba and Moskva and like they turned it Mogba Life okay. like Moskva Life yeah so it's about that and like yeah and like how many people are sponsored by Vans throughout Russia do you know It grew from four people all the way to 30 people. Wow. I mean, like, okay. yeah, like we had like, and we still have quite a big program. Like uh, we have major guys, we have legends on our team, we have girls on our team, mm -hmm. we have very big flow team, but all in all, it's even more than 30 people. Okay. And uh, thanks to Vans Europe that they always trusted us and they just were supportive of whoever we wanted to have on our team mm -hmm. and how would you say um i'm just curious to know how vance is doing in the russian market as a brand compared to like maybe a nike sb or adidas or converse would you say that vance has a, a good place in the russian market or yeah i believe if you talk about core audience I believe it's the number one skateboarding shoe brand in Russia right now. Okay. And it's not, uh, it wasn't like that all the time, but I think because of this marketing and because of this special type of attention to our national scene yeah. and uh, due to our national team and due to all the projects we did and due to all the management we did, like we managed to get a very respectful approach from the core skateboarding audience yeah. and I feel like last couple of years Vance has been number one skateboarding brand in Russia. In Russia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah and uh, shout out to Alex Forp, uh, Vance Europe marketing coordinator. 
he's actually one of the guys who refreshed um, Brent's approach to smaller things like Russia, and he is actually one of the guys who made it happen for us. And yeah, I'm thankful. And yeah, mm-hmm. well, Alex, if you if you are listening to our podcast right now. So I feel like I can't not ask you about what's going on in Ukraine. And I know you can't really probably can't tell too much about how you feel about it because it could uh, be a bit dangerous. But you uh, did an interview not too long ago for uh, for Place Skate Mag, where you addressed uh, what was going on in Ukraine and everything. And I was just curious to ask you about what's your perspective on it after these last five months, and how how do you feel is the perception in Moscow where you're living and. I personally find is as a shocking tragedy, as a painful tragedy that should have never happened. It's still for me unbelievable to see what's going on in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and it's very sad, and it's definitely pain that's gonna stay with us for many years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I fully believe that the peaceful solution should have been found, and what's going on now in Ukraine, that's, that's a pure shock, and yeah. yeah. And so since you're, you're in Moscow, has the situation evolved a lot? Are people talking about it like with your friends or what is the overall perception? I mean, we understand like there is a very strong uh, level of oppression and censorship against all kinds of anti-war initiatives or even talks or even activities. And like people, a lot of people, they just scared to talk openly. And a lot of people are shocked the same way as I am. And there is this concept that, like, Russian people are super supportive of this so-called special military operation. Mm -hmm. But I don't think this way. I mean, there are people who support it, and there is a percentage of people who sincerely support it. But there are a lot of people who are against it, a lot of people who doubt it, and a lot of people who hope for peace as soon as possible. Okay. So it's a pity that this all is happening. I don't know how, like, it's hard to describe, like, what's going on, but Mm -hmm. I I think this is just completely wrong. Yeah. I'm very shocked to see what's happening right now. And has this whole situation affected you on your, like, capacity to travel, for example, or... uh... Definitely, definitely affects everyday life. It's way harder to travel because um, we have flight bans with European Union and um, Western world and... uh, Right now, there are um, discussion about visa bans for all kinds of Russian people um, and banning Russian people from going to Europe. And it's not even about traveling. Traveling is like a way of entertaining yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more than entertaining, but still. Yeah. It feels like our life is not going to be the same. Even like skateboarding the industry, culture, education. It definitely affects everything. Mm-hmm. Like economy, employment situation. Very many Western companies left Russia. Yeah. Even like if we go small and go back to skateboarding industry, like all the major players, all the major actors either quit Russia 
after starting from March 2022 or they put all the operations all pause. Yeah. Even Vance, I'm still a team manager, but Vance put all the operations on the Russian market on hold on mode and we don't know how long it's going to last and what will be the final decision or yeah the final decision and we see all kinds of people fully quit in Russian market and if this happens to more companies that wouldn't be a surprise yeah and talking about us skaters like me and my friends for many years we've been doing our best on a small territory known as skateboarding to make a better image of our country and make a better image of the place where we are from yeah and like the actions that got started on the 24th February 2022, we feel like all our efforts were just erased. Now it's like whole new approach and whole new attitude towards Russia and Russian people. And that's just a pure tragedy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's first of all, it's a tragedy to Ukraine. Yeah, of course. I'm not trying to cause a pity to us. No, no, no. But I'm, but, just, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just trying to explain uh, like what we have to go through. But mm-hmm. it's readily for the whole European continent. And uh, we still don't know what will be, what kind of consequences we're going to have yeah, in the, the end. Repercussions. the repercussions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, there is still risk of a world war. There is still risk of nuclear war. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Like it's, it's going to influence the entire world. And that's something that... Europe didn't have for many many decades yeah yeah we'll see how it evolves but uh yeah and what about like for absurd skateboards is it affecting your like your sales or can you produce boards as usually or so far yes Uh, like Chinese factories um, still accessible we can order boards and even this one factory in northern Spain is still accessible for us but there is a lot like that right now if a lot of western brands quit Russian skateboarding market now it's a good season for maybe local brands but it's not really like that I would prefer to have everything as it was before February 2022 for sure I saw not too long ago, so Nestor Judkins was my very first guest on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I had him about a year and a half ago, we talked about his nonprofit Salad Days. And mm-hmm. I saw on Instagram late last year, I think it was in December of last year, he went to Russia to, I'm going to butcher the name, but it's a Niz- Nizhny Novgorod, something like that? Yeah, Nizhny Novgorod. Okay. So he went out there with uh, with his friend and your friend, Kenny Reed, to talk about Salad Days. For It was like a big skateboarding kind of conference event yeah. that took place over the course of a few days. So I, I just wanted to ask you about that because you were you were over there and I wanted to know a bit more about, like what was the purpose of this whole event and uh, what did you experience out there? The name of this event is Grand Skate Tour. It was one week long. Uh-huh. And it included conferences, public talks, skateboarding contests, indoor skate park sessions. But what I personally find most importantly about it, it was like a newborn communication platform for skaters from all around ex-Soviet countries, like skaters from Central Asia, for example, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, or skaters from Caucasus countries like Azerbaijan or Armenia, and for skaters all around Russia. And I really like this concept. Uh-huh. 
and um, this status or this function of a communicational platform, I find it's very fresh, interesting, and important because we have a lot of skateboarding contests, all kinds of contests, from like Olympic Games to all kind of like weird looking entertainment events. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of like skateboarding festivals that includes parties and video premieres and things like that. But going back to like talking about Grand Skate Tour, it's a really interesting mix of everything. And I think the way it was organized in Nizhny Novgorod, um, it gave skaters a really good and right perspective of what skateboarding was all about. Mm-hmm. It's not only sport, it's not only video production, it's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. It's a tool to make friends, it's a tool to travel the world it's a tool to improve your knowledge about people around you it's a tool to have fun it's a tool that gives you access to some of the coolest parties it's a little bit of everything yeah yeah, I really like the format and I was happy about uh, Grand Skate Tour in Nizhny Novgorod last December. Yeah, yeah. We had few guests like Nestor, we had Kenny Reed, yeah. we had Daniel Lebron. Oh, nice. He was in charge of uh, skateboarding judging classes because he's one of world skate judges. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I think he worked for Olympic Games in Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. And we had like all kinds of interesting activities like uh, Soviet skateboards museum uh, run by my good uh, friend Gleb from Minsk yes. and uh, what else did we have like all kinds of video premieres and all kinds of fun parties and mm-hmm. yeah we had a contest but the content was the most important part yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think I saw there was also matters yeah 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 matters I forgot good friend of mine Mothers was yeah. also there and um, he came to um, film an episode for oh yeah his Red Bull show yeah uh, Skate Tales yeah right. he, he came to film an episode for Skate Tales and yeah and going back to your previous question actually what started happening in Ukraine like yep. it's unfortunately it cancelled or erased a lot of the achievements of Grand Skate Tour at least on the international level yeah, yeah. now like Russia has a quite different image and quite different of reputation and I'm not sure if mm, this Skatel's episode gonna go online. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of the effort. It's not just about like one certain episode or one certain video. Just like as I told you before, like many, many, many projects that me and uh, a lot of my Russian friends, uh, all of us did our best to realize, to improve, yeah. and, and show like um, better image of Russia or show the modern face of Russia. It feels like just in one day it was all yeah erased and uh, erased and changed for what Well, hopefully people will make a difference between the Russian people globally and what's going on in Ukraine and, you know, like not condemn the Russian people in its entirety for what's going on in Ukraine, because it's the decision of the Russian president and a few people around him. So, yeah, but I I can understand how difficult it must be for people in Russia that have brands or working for brands like you with vans and everything that have been trying to. Yeah, we ended up in the situation like we are passengers of the car and we have no control of the car 
and we don't know where it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. And we are just trapped and we are locked inside this car that's going full speed to nowhere yeah. or at least to somewhere we don't know. And like, we didn't even choose to end up being passengers of this car. Oh, yeah. We just like, mm-hmm. we just, one of the days we woke up and this is the way it is for us. I usually end up these uh, interviews with questions from friends that I'm going to have you check out in a second. But I have one last question for myself, which is, uh, what would you say is one of the most valuable lessons that you feel that you've learned from skateboarding? I would say that skateboard or skateboarding is very powerful. It's a very powerful tool to have by you living in this world. It's a great way to explore this world. It's 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 a great um, tool to make new friends. It's a great tool to see new places. It's a great tool to enjoy life, basically, in a very wide meaning mm-hmm. of this expression. Skateboarding is very powerful. It's not just a wooden deck and four wheels and uh, two aluminum trucks. <laughs> it just it's it's something very powerful that changes your entire life for better. That helps you live better life. That uh, makes you live more interesting life. And it's still super fun thing to do. I I still enjoy skateboarding like every here and now. Like when it's summertime, I skate a lot. I yep. skate every other day, and uh, I still enjoy it. Even like few days ago, I tried to learn uh, volley. It's a very oh, yeah. simple trick, mm-hmm. but I struggled learning it. And there was a good spot to learn it, and I semi learned it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to repeat it on a harder obstacle, but this obstacle I had that day, I did it there multiple times and it still felt the best. Yeah. It's like street skating. Yeah, it still feels the best. It's it's amazing. It's been 23 years long yeah. run for me and it still feels amazing. I still love it a lot and I still enjoy doing it. And I might go skateboarding as soon as we finish this podcast. <laughs> Perfect. All right, so let's do the friends question. So I'll have you listen to this very first question. Hey, Kirill, here's your question. What's the most self-punishment you've endured on a skate trip? Ah, oh, we're getting back to this self-punishment topic. That's that's my mind, Lauren Skiff, I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think those standing glass trains in China we took during the 10,000 kilometers trip, mm-hmm. overnight standing glass trains in China, that was that was the moment when we pushed self-punishment to the limit, <laughs> like standing glass, you imagine it maybe like you have like pass in between seats to stay, but maybe you think maybe you would be able to take a seat or maybe you would be able to find a seat for yourself, no, it was like a pure all night long standing oh yeah that must be horrible in the middle <laughs> of the train car for around 12 hours oh, wow. and i'm um, happy my friend lawrence was nearby <laughs> we, we were lucky or oh, we were unlucky to experience it together <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but a lot of those transportations like we, we had like 30 hours long buses and we had some gnarly airplane flights and we had super long train rides like some of the transportation we, we did those transportations were pretty gnarly but either or I would go for standing class trains from Beijing to Xi'an back in 2009 <laughs> okay this next question is from Dilip Carroll 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's our boy. That's my man Deliv. He's amazing. He's one of the best Russian skaters, and he's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he said, "Is there a reason you always swim naked in cold water?" <laughs> Uh, I go naked just because it's more convenient because afterwards I don't have wet underwear or wet t-shirt and I don't really need towel because <laughs> I can put back my underwear and it's all dry and I just like swimming I like put my body through this temperature shock and I find it's entertaining I find it's fun and I find it's also a good way to entertain your friends or people around you <laughs> I'm a fan For of sure. swimming <laughs> <laughs> Swim every damn day and skate too. <laughs> Perfect. All right, this next question, let's see. Uh... Hello, Kirill, it's your grumpy old neighbor from Finland. I hope you're doing good in these disturbing times and I guess you might cover some of those topics. So I'm gonna ask you about your travelings. I know you're a traveling man and been around the globe many times and I wonder if there is still a place you have not been. So tell us what's your next destination and is it still a, a trip to go find unscathed territory or do you have uh, different approaches to your traveling? What do you want to go see or experience these days? Yeah, whatever it is, I hope you get to go there and are Our paths crosses one day again. Did you recognize the voice? Is it Samu? Yes, Samu. It's Samu Karol. Yes, from uh, Finland. Yeah, it's a Samu. Yeah, we've been. Uh, he visited us in Russia a bunch of times, and we traveled around Europe together. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Samu is cool. Hello, Samu. And uh, yeah, times are tough for us, so times are strange for us. And uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to at least visit you in Finland again. Would be fun to um, go back to Helsinki for Hellride 2023. But talking about a more random destination where I would like. Like to go. I think one place I regret not coming with visual traveling is Yemen. Oh. Like I had been to Middle East before and I had a concept like it's gonna be like another Middle Eastern place mm -hmm. like Yemen. I thought maybe I would be fine missing out on this one but actually the boys went there and like I saw the footage and later I saw the photos and like one country I regretted not coming with visual traveling was Yemen. Okay. It looked very special, it looked different, like the architecture, the traditional architecture, the houses, men uh, carrying knives as a part of the traditional costume, yeah, I think I regret not visiting Yemen, mm. and, uh, yeah, maybe one day, I'm not sure, like, I think the political situation is still quite tough out there, and it's not the most common destination for traveling these days, but mm -hmm. we'll see, we'll maybe see. Maybe one but, day. Like, Maybe one day, like one of the countries I regret, I know like Patrick went there and Gosha Konishev, a good friend of mine from Moscow, went there with Patrick. Mm -hmm. But and Lawrence was there too, but I didn't go and that's the country I regret not okay. visiting with the crew. Okay, uh, next question, let's see. Yo, hi Beyond Boards, hi Quentin, it's Dimishubin, and my question is, how are you doing, crew? Okay, it was a joke. Actually, I'd like to ask Kirill about your first switch heel flip, because I've seen one when we were hitting the small slappy spot in Minsk, and it was crazy, like, super unexpected scene. And so, do you remember first switch heel flip? Do you remember that feeling 
of your first switch heel flip and what do you think about rap music? Uh, should it be helpful to listen to rap music? If yes, which track would you recommend to listen before I gonna make my first steps? That's it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks Dima. Uh, Dima is a good friend of mine from Minsk, Belarus. He's quite amazing of a snowboarder, but he's okay. also a good skater. Yeah, he's sponsored by Vans, like Vans Snow. Mm -hmm. But he's, yeah, I actually visited him maybe a month ago. Okay. Yeah, sweet heel flips. Like, um, uh, I learned them due to my good friend Anton Baranovsky. I don't know if Anton is going to listen to this one. Like, at least it was one of my early skate friends or skate buddies. And mm -hmm. we used to skate a lot around, I skate a lot the same parking lot in the suburb of Moscow called Balashiha. Okay. And I can't remember how, but at one point he figured out that sweet heel flips were super easy even like easier than regular hair flips i remember him starting doing them and it looked very natural and very easy and then i like i asked him for for the key to the trick and um, he told me foot position and he explained me everything and uh, i was able to pick them up too there wasn't anything special but these days i don't do them too often mm -hmm. but it's one of the few flip tricks I can still do. Like these days, like um, I still got kick flip, fake kick flip, sweet heel flip, and nollie heel flip. Even like regular heel flip recently has become almost a mission impossible for me. Yeah. I don't know why. Like I like heel flips are hard, but yeah. sweet heel flip are still still easy and still fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heel flips are harder than switch heels, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Just like something about like kicking your board with your regular foot with the heel of your regular foot is like is just unnatural yeah unnatural exactly <laughs> but like when i do the same action with my sweet foot it's it's easy but yeah. like so but don't get me wrong i'm still like like flat ground is pretty much the limit where i can execute a good sweet heel flip i don't jump down the stairs <laughs> i don't do down drops but i can maybe do it on a mellow bank too okay. like mellow banks flat ground maybe i can do it in a mellow bank into the bank too mm -hmm. but that, that's about it so it's not like i throw like on 10 stairs or yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's not like a throw down one Every other 10 stair I found, okay. yeah, but I, I like it, yeah. I think I think Dima was just like, I like, we filmed this little fun Instagram clip while I was in Minsk, and like, I think after one of the sweet crooked grinds fakey, I ended up rolling away switch, and I just did one first try, and he seemed to be fully shot. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, by this type of maneuver. And what about, uh, so he mentions rap music, like... Uh... Yeah, rap music. I like 90s rap, like, I like the rap from the 90s, that was the only type of um, rap um, we had while I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. And as for the one certain track, I don't know, it's a hard one. Yeah. But I like, on my Instagram, uh, I have um, my small Instagram video part that I filmed 35 tricks for my 35 years. Oh, yeah? And I used a rap song as a soundtrack for that one, so maybe uh, Dima can try to listen to that one now. <laughs> okay. It's not like a 90s rap, it's not like a gangster's 90s rap, but it's, it's a rap track. It's a US, US rap or? No, no, it's a Russian rap, it's a Russian rap from Chebaksare. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, maybe Dima will find it funny. All right, next question. Let's do this one.
Strasvutia Kirill. This is Nestor. You have really helped out a lot of different crews traveling across Russian-speaking places. Um, I remember you saving us from getting kicked out of a train in the middle of Kazakhstan one night, maybe a similar event in Ukraine, Belarus, back in 15 years ago or something. Uh, I want to know if you have any moment that uh, stands out to you from when you, you had to put your skills as a fixer to, to work to save the crew from trouble, some visual traveling trip or whatever comes to mind. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's one of those moments when like you have you definitely have a lot of stories behind you, but it's 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 hard to think of one like of certain one. Like what stands out for me? Well, I think the one you mentioned with the rocks. Um... Yeah, yeah, we can use that one. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know why, but I just thought about me and Kenny Reed going night to a nightclub in the middle of Siberia in Omsk in 2007, uh-huh. and the nightclub was allocated just a bit outside of the city in a car service or in some kind of garage and it looks super sketchy and super gnarly okay. and Kenny, like both of us were terrified and scared and Kenny asked me to stop talking in English and Kenny asked me to talk to him in Russian and uh, I don't know, it looked very sketchy and it looked like a lot of problems but actually we ended up having a great night and we had a lot of fun and we have a lot of good memories from that night <laughs> so sometimes the first image you get it's completely wrong yeah yeah the actual impression might be completely opposite let's see oh this one is written one so this one is from uh, leo Lu- lucan yeah, yeah, yeah. Leo was a good, also a good friend of mine. We went to very many different places from Macedonia to Peru. Oh, wow. Okay. So he said, what would you do if USSR came back and borders closed? That's a difficult question to answer. <laughs> it's a difficult one. I don't really like, I don't really want this to happen. Yeah. Like I, I prefer open world and open borders and I prefer freedom of traveling and I believe open format and freedom is just an advantage for everyone who is able to share it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there were good things about Soviet Union, like architecture of the Soviet Union. You can still find a lot of Instagram accounts about um, architecture of the Soviet Union. And there were other good things, uh, but like generally... I mean, this project, the, the, the fact that it fell apart in 1991, it kind of proves himself that this project, there was something wrong about it. Yeah. I fully prefer open world and open borders and peaceful cooperation between different countries. But if worse comes to worse, what would I do? I don't know. Well, hopefully you, you won't have to do that. Yeah, I don't, like, I, yeah, I, I want to, like, yeah, I want to stay here. I mean, like, my family is from here, and my friends are from here, and mm-hmm. my friend Leo is here, and, like, I still want to have a, an opportunity to meet him and skate with him every here and now, and yeah. uh, I really hope uh, we wouldn't be put in the situations when we have to choose either migration away or just being locked inside the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah. All right, let's do the next one. Kirill, Walker here. All right, the world knows Patrick Walner's videos, but not a lot of people know about him as a person. 
What is the funniest situation you've gotten into with Patrick on a trip? Or what is the funniest thing you can think of when you think of Patrick? Miss you, buddy. Hope we get to see you soon. Okay, like one funny fact about he can't smell. The only smell he feels is the smell of onions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's convenient during the skate tour because when your socks... Oh, yeah. That's, that's no problem for Patrick Walner. <laughs> that's interesting, okay. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, um, he's a big fan of hot air ballooning. Oh, yeah. You were just on a hot air... Yeah, yeah, I, I just learned, yeah, I just learned the I loop. saw that, I just yeah. The, yeah, I just learned the hot air balloon <laughs> loop. But, like, he's been doing it for quite a few years. Okay. And what else can I... And he's... He's super organized. Uh, like, when he proposes and when he invites people on those trips and when he produces the trips, everything is planned and we have map and we have a legend and we have text behind the map and it's like day by day and it's the level of organization uh, he normally has while working on those chaotic activities known as visual traveling <laughs> trips is quite impressive and i respect him for that <laughs> perfect all right so i have a few questions from michael makrotz yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He said, was your grandfather's art a key element in your desire to launch absurd skateboards? Uh, I would put it a little bit different way. My, my, my dad is an artist. He's a big artist. Um, he's a big Chuvash artist. And uh, most of his art is based on cultural heritage of the Chuvash people. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like one time we did board graphics with um, his artworks. But I wouldn't say that he was an inspiration for absurd skateboards, but he is just uh, the biggest inspiration for my life in general. Okay. Because his whole life is about freedom and his whole life is about self-expression. And I think skateboarding uh, is about same values. Yeah. And looking at him living his life freedomly and uh, doing what he likes the best, that was a great example in front of me to follow. And uh, he is probably the biggest inspiration up to now yet mm -hmm. yeah. I actually right now I'm in my grandparents apartment and uh, you can see some of his artworks yeah, I saw that behind yeah, me yeah. on the wall yeah that, that, right now that's his studio and um, yeah I'm having this we are recording this podcast from over there from yeah the I, I watched again uh, the Down the Volga video and you, there's uh -huh. a lot of footage of uh, you over there and some, some of his art and he's uh, uh -huh. talking about all that. So, yes, for people who are listening, they should uh, yeah, check yeah, out yeah, the video. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he has endless stories. He's super interesting person to be around and uh, his uh, luggage of knowledge is just ginormous and he's an inspiration and he's just the best granddad I could ever imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked both of my grandparents from my mom's side are still around and uh, I try to visit them pretty much once a month mm -hmm, yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's amazing right now both bo yeah both of them are 85 right now and uh, they're in good uh, good health yeah 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 every time I have a little bit of free time I just take a train to Chebuxare and I come here and I try to help them with farming and oh, yeah. agriculture and just help them with the apartment yeah. and everything they need all right, I have two last questions. Uh, I'll have you listen to this one. Hello, Kirill. 
No, you've been having the same car for a long time. Tell us, please, what is special about this car? Did you make it? That's my. That's, did you make yeah, nice about Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. Just ask about the car. Yeah, I've been uh, having the same car. I've been having Fiat Grande Punta since 2009. Okay. It's an average whatever car, but I did uh, ginormous distance with it, and um, very big part of this distance was done under the name of skateboard and trees. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did 285,000 kilometers. Wow. Which is quite a lot for oh, this yeah. type of car. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I drove it everywhere, from Helsinki to Berlin, from Mal Moldova to Belarus, from the Lake Baikal. Yeah, we did this project, um, absurd uh, Carhartt uh, WIP project. Uh-huh called Ozera. We, we drove all the way from Moscow to Lake Baikal, 6,000 kilometers on the same trip. Wow. And I drove it all around Russia, summertime, wintertime, <laughs> coldness, extremely hot weather conditions. It, it drove me through everything and I really like it. And uh, Is it still uh, alive, so to speak? Or are you still... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we just... Yeah, like the, that hot air balloon trip. We've just talked about like to get... Um, into those uh, balloons we, we drove the same car okay yeah like we, we drove a fiat yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's a great fiat and i like it a lot the condition isn't ideal anymore but it's still still working it's still working and it still drives me around and uh, i might uh, take it again for the next absurd trip around next weekend <laughs> cool okay let's finish with the very last question well krill as you might remember, back in 2009, when we took the Trans-Siberian from Moscow all the way to Hong Kong, you coined the phrase self-punishment, referring to uh, putting yourself through a harsh circumstance to get from point A to point B with public uh, transportation. And um, my question is, over the last decade and a half of us traveling, uh, what do you consider to have been the the roughest uh way of traveling i mean i remember some really long bus rides that we have done uh sitting class or standing class in china sitting class uh, between seats in myanmar what does your memory trigger here yeah, I think I've already talked about standing class trains um, from China yeah. and like as for bus rides, yeah, I remember the one from Tbilisi, Georgia to Ankara, Turkey that took us 34 hours. Oh, wow. 34 hours of straight bus ride. That was pretty gnarly. And yeah, I think we also had some gnarly trains like Mandalay Express from Mandalay to Yangon, Myanmar. Yeah, that train definitely lacks certain level of comfort. And uh, not even that one, all those ex-Soviet trains like uh, taking them through Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan or through Russia, a lot of fun memories and yeah there is one trick we all know like normally they close um, toilets uh, while uh, there is a stop mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
because everything just goes straight down. To the ground, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they avoid uh, the situation happening while it's in the middle of the station. Yeah, but like uh, skaters got its own way to get into the toilet even during those stops because you can open the locks, you can open the doors, toilet doors on those ex-Soviet trains with a skate tool. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> if you have a skate tool and um, you need to get into the toilet while on a train ride around some of the ex-Soviet territories, just uh, use your skate tool, open it and get in. <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, advice right there. Perfect. Well, let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Kirill. Yeah, thank you. And uh, one more time, I'm excited to be part of your podcast. And hopefully we got some audience to listen to it. And uh, thanks. Thank you for your effort and for the questions. I felt myself quite entertained answering them. That's it for my conversation with Kirill. Follow him on Instagram at Kirill underscore Korobkov. Go check out the visual traveling videos of some of the trips he's been on, such as 10,000 kilometers, the Persian version, or down the Volga, all available on patrickwallner.com. Also, go watch some of Absurd Skateboards videos on Vimeo and follow them on Instagram at Absurd Skateboards. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards. <laughs>